turn there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will get you one. There won't be a, uh, there'll be a few verses on the screen. But as you found out last week, you cannot count on this screen. So don't come to church and count on the screen. I would like to encourage you not to do that. It's there for people who come in and are unaware. But what happens is we depend on a screen giving us verses, and we never learn how to turn our Bibles or look at them. Or, yeah, and you can use your phone for that, too. But I would really encourage you to bring a Bible or your phone app. Be ready to go that way. It would be much... If you want to learn how to find things in the Bible, you will not learn it by just looking at the screen. I'm just telling you that. You know that. It's fine if that's what you want to do, but I'm encouraging you. Okay. So we are going to begin uh, first and second Peter, starting in, of course, first Peter one with an introduction. And uh, I'm going to pray one more time. You might not need prayer, but obviously I do. Okay, so Lord, help us, we pray, to understand and open your word, but to open our hearts to your word, and that we might receive the ministry you have for us to go in us, for us, and through us to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, when you think about Paul, you're thinking about a guy that is a little bit hard to relate to. Because Paul, even though in 2 Corinthians he expressed his struggles and said, I, who gets offended and I don't burn? And, but when you follow Paul's story, I mean, before he was a Christian, he was 100% sold out to what he was doing, right? He was persecuting Christians. He was Sanhedrin material, and he was going for it. And he, he didn't blink. And then he got saved. And then all you see him is going 100% forward as a saved guy, completely taking all that energy in the right direction and just 100%, very few little things that maybe you could call mistakes. But, of course, you don't know about his years of isolation that the Lord took him at the beginning to break him and to teach him, where he received revelation before he went out preaching, you know, right after the beginning preaching, then he went away to Arabia for a few years. But, Rick, I thought we are talking about Peter. Why are you talking about Paul? I said, because Paul, I'm just saying Paul, is, is a little hard to relate to. He is. You know, you just kind of go, I, I'd like to be that way. It feels like it's a little bit out of my reach. <laughs> I just, God can do anything in anybody. But I know you and I all, we all kind of look at Paul that way a little bit. Peter, not so much. <laughs> Peter, you could go, man, I could relate to that guy. And not only by what he said, but by what he did and what is said about him. And there's so much more here. So what I want to do is read the first few verses and then give an introduction to the book through giving an introduction to Peter. Because when you read somebody's teaching and you can look at their life and their time, Peter was with Jesus. He's in all four Gospels. So when you read what he's saying in Peter, your connection to what he went through, what he heard Jesus say, can become so much richer for you studying the book of Peter. Do you get it? All right. Peter 1, 1 through 3, I'm going to go. Um, or I'm going to go through 2. It's just, there's no place to start and stop. So, <laughs> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the Spirit <clears throat> for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Peter. We'll come back to all that that he just said, but I just felt obligated to read a few verses before I do this. What do we know about the big fisherman? You know, he's called that. They made a movie about him. It wasn't really a documentary of his true life. It was a story that went on beyond, as, as movies do. But that's fine. What do we know about this guy? We know he's the brother of Andrew. We know that they lived in Capernaum. And we know that their business was fishing fishermen. I, I believe a lot of non-believers who've never opened a Bible know that Peter was a fisherman. Uh, not all of them. And on the one hand, he's mentioned in the Gospels. Did you know that Peter is mentioned more times than any other person besides Jesus? On the other hand, Jesus rebuked him more than any other person in the Gospels. On the one hand, Peter speaks more than any other person other than Jesus in the Gospels. On the other hand, Jesus publicly... <laughs> But on the one hand, Jesus spoke more to him than any other of the disciples, and as far as what we have written. On the other hand, he's the only guy Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? Uh, on the one hand, he loves Jesus passionately, and that is true. On the other hand, what did he do? Denied that he knew him three times vehemently. On the one hand, uh, Jesus gave him more praise than any of the other uh, of the apostles. But Jesus also told him, you're going to deny me that you even know me, as we just also mentioned. He ran with John to the tomb. You know, John was, we believe, younger, more svelte. <laughs> Peter's huffing and puffing, following John into the tomb, and but he wasn't sure what to think even after he went into the tomb, right? Go tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus said to Mary. And then even after Jesus appeared to him and all the disciples, he said, you know, I'm going fishing. <laughs> and it wasn't just I'm going to go on a little day hit, uh, trip to fish. He said, I'm going to go back to fishing. I, I'm not sure what to do right now. He was, well, you follow his life, you see he makes it through all that, of course. He was in the inner circle with Jesus, with James and John. And he saw more miracles with those two than any other person. Peter is the only person in human history besides Jesus to do what? Walk on water. And he freaked out on water. But, you know, you've got to give him credit. Jesus used his boat. And after he used his boat, they went out and caught a great number of fish like they couldn't contain. And, and, and you know, one time when the tax guys were saying, and Peter said, uh, yeah, he wasn't really sure. And Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, listen, go take your hook, not, not your boat, not a net. Go take a hook like a fishing line. And the first fish you catch, you'll get a coin and you can go give it to them for our taxes. And he experienced that. He did that. He was at the transformation, of course, where Jesus is transformed with James and John, and when the young girl is risen from the dead, uh, Jairus' daughter, and he was used by God to raise Dorcas later on in the book of Acts. You know, he was chosen by God 
to be the first man to go to the Gentiles and lead them into the kingdom, meaning, remember in Acts chapter 10, he had the vision of a net coming down three times with all manner of meat that was not kosher according to Jewish law, and and rise, Peter, kill and eat, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean, and then the Lord says, don't call I've made common or unclean. And then those men come, and he goes with them to Cornelius' house, and he preaches, he just tells them his story, and the Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles for the very first time. Then again, on the other hand, Antioch and Peter had spent some time there with Gentiles and eating with them. He, had to, he, he left them out of fear of the Jewish um, hierarchy guys that were coming, the Judaizers, the legalists, who saw him eating with Gentiles, and, and he did it in front of everybody, and Paul rebuked him publicly. He rebuked him publicly in front of everybody for his hypocrisy. But listen, did Peter get up, turn around and walk away from that, those tables and that picnic and go his way and never come back and say, you have embarrassed me in front of everybody. I've made a fool of myself by what I did in front of everybody. Everyone knows I'm a loser and a failure and I'll never come back. Is that what Peter did? In Acts 15, he stands up when all these guys are trying to say the Gentiles have to become Jewish to come into the kingdom. They have to be circumcised, etc. And he stands up. Paul stood alone in Antioch. Peter needed rebuke, and even Barnabas was carried away with that wrong behavior. But then, because Paul stood up, and because Peter was a guy after God's heart too, he stood up. He didn't do it right away perfectly. Have you? He didn't do everything just right. Have you? But you know what he did? He kept going. He kept going. There's more to his story. You know, um, Peter was the one when Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? And they had all the other answers. And then, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that pipes up, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Ah, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. But then a few minutes later is when he gets rebuked and Satan called. So when Jesus was speaking in John six sixty seven through 69, he he. He's preaching about, you have to eat my flesh, drink my blood to be a part of the kingdom. He's talking spiritually to the people that they needed the life of God from heaven, which is God's Son who came down from heaven to give his life for the world, Jesus the Messiah himself. The people got offended. They didn't understand him. They were bothered by it, and they booked, right? They were all leaving, excuse me. They were all leaving, and Jesus turns in John 6, uh, 67 through 69. Do you want to leave also? Eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So you know, when the chips were down, once he got going, he kept going. And, um, <laughs> but then again, 
when, when Jesus was talking about people who left all to follow him, how they would have more houses and families and lands than ever before, a hundred times, you know what Peter's response to that was? Well, we've left everything. What do we get? <laughs> we're the big guys. <laughs> you know, we're the apostles, and I'm first. I mean, they all were doing this. They all had sharp elbows, even the quiet ones. They were all like, and uh, P- Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What will we get in the kingdom? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Jesus took him to pray at Gethsemane, and what did he do? Now, they, you need to read, if you think they just fell asleep because they're lazy, um, it's an easy message to give, but it's not true. Luke chapter 22 tells us they were sleeping for sorrow. When my father died when I was 15, suddenly all I wanted to do was sleep because sleep is an escape. They were overwhelmed beyond measure. They weren't catching what was overwhelmed. And Jesus prophesied bad things about Peter, right? We talked about it already. You know, you're going to deny me three. Is that a good thing? So if you're going to define that, is that a good thing? No. So that would make it a, yeah, because that's a bad thing, okay? But Jesus also prophesied good of him, especially his personal restoration over his failures and his pastoring the flock. You know, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter was called to lead the church along with others, And when he was imprisoned to be killed, he's asleep in the prison. I think he was at peace with God. He's asleep, and an angel has to smack him to wake him up. (laughs) You'd think the glow alone would wake him up. He was released by an angel. Yeah. Couldn't I just introduce this letter without all these details? Sure, but I want us to read. I would hope that you will read it through the week and the weeks you'll read the chapters and consider for yourself who this person is, how they came to this understanding, and it will enrich your understanding and your ability to enjoy and appreciate the book of First and Second Peter, which we'll do. And uh, I think it'll be really great. And if it isn't, Bill's the one that said, let's do Peter. So, so he did. I, I was going to do 2 Corinthians. He said, give him a break. Okay, so 1 Peter, chapter 1 again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, God, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Oh, my how will some of his experience affect what he shares? It's not yet. So I could have waited to read it again. But what was the culture and the climate as Peter writes this letter? He's talking to the dispersion. In 64 to 65 AD, when we think Peter wrote this letter, it was a dangerous time of persecution by Caesar Nero. He was soon going to burn Rome down and blame the Christians for it. He wanted to build a new Rome, and he thought, if I just burn it down, then we'll have to build it the way 
I want it. He was a maniac in many ways. So Peter brings a message of hope to pilgrims and strangers, to the pilgrims and, and strangers. It's the same word really, scattered in these regions that Bill pointed out to us last week around Turkey up there. These are the very regions that he was mentioning and that was in the scriptures and previously. And the Jews had earlier been scattered like seed. When Assyria, now I'm going to take you through that history again, and I find that most people need numerous times of getting the history to get the picture, and then once you get it, you, you're not questioning, when was this, when was that all the time? Does that make sense to you? So, when Israel was a nation and they were first dispersed in their failure and their rebellion against God, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, were taken by Assyria and scattered. People call them the lost ten tribes. They're not totally lost, and some of them came down south when all the garbage was going on up north with the kings up there because they still wanted to worship God. So there were representatives from every tribe in Judah. But their genealogies, we never, we don't have. God has them. And they, they would be scattered and interspersed. Then, in, that was in 711 B.C. In 586 B.C. was the last wave of Babylon coming to Judah, the southern kingdom that still remained, and taking them captive into Babylon. But in all of this, Israel was scattered. People ran out from that place or were taken from that place by the Assyrians, and they were placed in other places. But you know, somehow they managed to take scrolls with them. Did you know that? You know, there's synagogues in all these places. In most places where Paul went, not all, there were synagogues. All around that known world that was there, there were Jews that were scattered. Now that's one of the, that's the dispersion, the diaspora, initially. Then we have Israel regathered, this Judah is regathered there um, and allowed to return from Babylon. And Jesus comes when Israel's a, a nation again under Roman dominion. And then what happens when the gospel goes out and then Israel is in rebellion against Rome? They are scattered again. But before that scattering... There's the church, and the church is growing in Jerusalem, and the Stephen gets stoned, and it says at that time a great persecution came out, and the Christians were scattered. And it says they went everywhere complaining and shaking their fist at God for allowing them to suffer persecution. I'm being facetious. Chased out of their homes, Chased out of their land, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So, you may not feel up to this, sitting in this chair that you're in, thinking about your life. I might not feel up to it. But the call of God for us and the strength of the Holy Spirit in us is that we could get chased right out of our home. And we could carry the love of Jesus with us and, and use that to say, oh, I guess I'm supposed to go carry the gospel to other people. Imagine that.
imagine that. How big is your God? Well, isn't God big enough to keep me from suffering? Of course he is. But that's not always the way it works. Because he's going to do work through you, even in the midst of your difficulty. So these guys get scattered, and they carry the message. And what they do is they go to all the places where there's synagogues, and they're the ones that are able to tell not just Paul, but Paul goes to a lot of places, uh, you know, and does a great job. God uses him greatly. But even all the Christians can go to a town where there's a synagogue and say to people, you see that synagogue there? Do you know the scriptures they're reading, those, those things they're reading? Yeah, we don't really get it, and they don't really like us. <laughs> and we're not included, so we don't really care. No, 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 no. They have not just the Jews. It's right there in their scriptures. We can show you. And they did. So the scattering of seed, the pilgrims that are scattered, Peter is writing to both the Jewish Believe, but he's writing to the believers, Jewish believers and now Gentiles, and they were there to talk to the, the diaspora, those who are included about the Messiah who was, who was to come, that he has now come. So tradition tells us that Peter traveled to preach and teach, and as he did, and we know he did that, but as he went and preached and, and taught, that cynics would follow him around. People knew his story. The negative. Whatever you did wrong, there's people that will never let you forget it. You know? And if you are a person who never lets somebody forget the sin they've committed, you are not only holding them down, God can release them. You're not helping them do better by reminding them constantly about their failure. And you yourself are stuck even worse than they are. You know, if you want somebody to get over something, you get over it too. Now, I understand there's layers to that with misbehavior that continues. I'm not talking about all that. You know what I'm talking about. And so these guys would follow Peter around and go, cock-a-doodle-doo, Peter, cock-a-doodle-doo, because he denied the Lord. But you know, he was chosen. He was chosen. Peter writes to the chosen, the elect, being elected, you know, like we do an election and we choose supposedly leaders. So chosen in some translations, elect. The same reality. What did Jesus say to all the disciples in the upper room? John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you you. I chose 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 you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, when I just did that, we don't teach here that God's sovereignty erases man's responsibility. We see both as true, 
and we can't figure it out. Neither can the theologians. They just take sides. <laughs> and there are scriptures to show both sides. So I say, all comers, bring all those scriptures and let's say, God is awesome and great. His sovereignty is above all. He is the one. And that doesn't erase responsibility. And I don't have to fix that. You can't fix it. God doesn't fit between our ears. When people try to spend a lifetime figuring out an answer to that, is it just God's sovereignty and man has no choice? I don't believe that. Is man's choice really the ultimate issue? No, God chose you. (laughs) Now here he's saying, I chose you. You can say, well, that's as apostles, and I understand that. But there's more places where the same truth as in Ephesians chapter 1 says. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined, it goes on, us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. You know, God has to know everything, doesn't he? Could God not know something? So God knows everything you're going to do. But he's not like your mom. (laughs) Because she knows you're going to do something. She runs interference constantly to keep you from doing it. Moms. (laughs) That's, That's not God. That's not God. He knows what you're going to do, but he gives you room to do it. And he knows your end and what you're going to do. And he knows how to choose you and how to use you. And he has predestined what's going to happen to those who choose him in response. And I'm going to leave it right there. Jesus told Peter, and he prayed for Peter. Simon, Simon, you know, he gave him the name Peter from Simon. I'll let Bill cover that next week. I didn't cover that. uh, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Imagine, imagine, imagine Jesus saying to you, Lord, what's going on in my life? And the Lord speaks to you because you're not in Peter's shoes physically with Jesus. You know, oh, Satan's been asking to destroy you. Personally. Wow. Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, and when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. It's nice to know Jesus was praying for you and that you're going to be converted and you're going to overcome and you're going to get past it. And, of course, I I, I guess Peter could really say with confidence then in chapter 4, verse 12, don't go through that's going to come upon you. Do not think it's a strange thing that you're going through a strange thing. And he's not just saying, he's not just puffing smoke. Peter went through some strange things, didn't he? And he made it through. Then Jesus commissioned Peter, he said, feed my sheep, and he did exactly that. So, writing to displaced pilgrims, suffering with more coming. There was more to come. He knew it. But he shared with them with compassion and clarity. Some people, I feel your pain. I feel so sorry. I wish I could do something. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know why this is happening to you. It's not fair. 
that's compassion. That's not clarity. Now, I'm not saying I know why things happen to people. I am saying clarity is I have compassion for you, and I know that your suffering God is going to use for his glory and bring you close to him. And I know that God is with you, and he's not going to leave you or forsake you. And I don't say that with a glib heart today. My wife is suffering greatly with pain, and it's very hard to watch. You've all been there. It's hard. But we know that God has purpose for our lives, and it doesn't change by the wind, and it doesn't change by your ups and downs of your physical or even emotional condition. We do know that. We hang on to that. We cling to that. And well, we should. And we need shepherds who will remind us of that. And we need friends who will remind us of that. Empathy is great. But when your empathy takes you to turn somebody's attention away from the glory and the purpose of God to just how you're such a kind friend and you don't get it either and you don't think it's fair, you, you diminish God's glory and you're not helping that person. You're not. Anyway, (laughs) Peter shared compassionately and clearly, and you're going to see that in this book, in this letter, how he tells people how to deal with suffering. You might want to go to another church where they don't talk about suffering. I hope you don't. But Peter talks about it. And let me tell you something. Peter said all this knowing something about his own life. What did Peter know about his own life? When you were young, you would go wherever you want, but when you get old, they're going to carry you and take you and bind you where you don't want to go. This he was speaking, and Peter understood this. This he was speaking about the way Peter would what? Die. So here's a man who knew from the resurrection of Jesus all the way through his life, right into his writing of this letter, and he'll say it later, you know, I'm going to remind you because soon it's time for me to go. And it wasn't like I'm going to lay down and fall asleep and wake up in heaven. He knew he was going to suffer for Jesus. Tradition tells us that they were going to crucify him, and he said, don't crucify me, just like, like, Lord, I'm not worthy. We don't know if this is true, but it's a strong tradition. He said, turn me upside down. And that's the way he died, upside down, crucified. So do you think this man understood what he was talking about? Was he blowing steam? Was it just a nice sermon? He read some commentaries and (laughs) came up with some things. Peter, he knew, and he brings us hope, not only by the wisdom of inspired words, which they are, but by his life, through his ups and downs, he finished the race. And even if you've had ups and downs, brother, sister, you will finish the race. You can finish the race strong. Aren't we like Peter and the people he was writing to? Oh, okay, We're not in the middle of their suffering, but aren't we pilgrims displaced? (laughs) 
Aren't we strangers and pilgrims passing through? Isn't that what he's telling us too? Do you ever not feel at home here on this world? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Do you know I always have people sing up here with me as much as possible. I don't have that twang. It's worse than the twang when I'm alone, but twang helps. <laughs> but uh, uh, Do you ever feel not at home here? Like you just don't fit in? Good. Because you were chosen by the foreknowledge of God, set apart by his spirit. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus means you were cleansed. It's the priesthood. It's the Old Testament picture. All the items in the tabernacle and also the priest himself was touched with blood. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter, a simple fisherman, seems to have pretty deep theology, doesn't he? They said, well, these guys were ignorant and unlearned. How could they have these talk like this? Well, they were not ignorant and unlearned. They were not members of their higher theology schools, is what they they meant. If you didn't go to our school, get our seal of approval, do all our stuff, then you're just an ignorant nothing. These guys were not. Peter grew up studying the scriptures as all the Jewish boys faithful Jewish boys did, even when they went fishing, they took time to go to their school, was, was Jewish Bible school. And um, Peter had a lot of ups and downs. But they took note that he'd been with Jesus, that they all had. You know, Jesus tends to rub off on you if you spend time with him. And Peter, uh, with his ups and downs, the real issue is he finished the race and he finished strong. Now, as I close, and I am really closing, but I have told Damien Kyle's story before, but I just don't have a better one. If you've heard it, be glad for the people that haven't to hear it. So uh, he's a pastor in California, great, great guy. And he was in California in junior high. He was tall. He played basketball. He was on the California. It's one of those places where they have middle schools with 4,000 kids. So he's on the, the senior, you know, the ninth grade track team. And, uh, and they have meets with other schools with 4,000 kids. So they have big places with stands and lots of people watching And he says, you know, we had this kid on our track team. Everybody else was like, they played other sports, basketball, baseball, track. But this guy, Gregory, and that's, I think I got his name right. Gregory was an enigma to us. And it was really weird to us that the coach would let him on the team. He was shorter, but they're short, fast guys. But he was stocky. And he was kind of chunky, but he loved to run. And he loved to be on the track team. And the coach let him be on the track team. And he, was, and he raced the mile, the mile race. And uh, it was inevitable how it would go every single meet we had. So everybody would start out on the one-mile run. And the first time they went around the track, Gregory is already way behind halfway around the track as they're finishing their first lap. You with me? So as it continues, they just get further away from him. And... Of course, kids in middle school are so kind and tender. <laughs> well, even the parents and whoever else is watching, there's a lot of, hoot, a lot of hooting and hollering going on, <laughs> laughing and mocking Gregory because he's getting so far behind. 
And 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 but then uh, so on the last lap, these guys lap him and finish the race while he's still just coming around this, his fourth first beginning of his fourth and last curve. He's at the beginning again, and they're finishing the race and past him, and they're done. And Gregory keeps running. And, and they're laughing and laughing around the first curve. <laughs> Why is this guy even running? I can't believe this. It's like some... And it starts to get quiet. Because people are realizing... This guy's going to finish the race. And then their catcalls and hoots or whatever you want to call it turns into admiration. As he hits the third curve, they start to chant. Somebody's, Gregory, 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 louder. And louder and stronger and more people and more. And pretty soon the whole stadium is now just screaming, Gregory, 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 as he runs slowly, soaking across the finish line. They break into outrageous joy and throw their programs and their popcorn up in the air. And here's what Damien said. Two things he said that stuck. Everybody was leaving the stadium. What were they talking about? That Gregory. Nothing else that happened that day were they talking about. He goes, I don't remember one name of one of my teammates on that team. But I remember Gregory. Gregory finished the race. In our day, in my lifetime, we went to the Jesus Revolution movie. It was very well done. It wasn't, it's not a documentary. It's a movie, and it was done really well. So it doesn't cover all the things that somebody like me who was kind of close to all that would want to know about or have shown, but it didn't need to. It was really good. It was so many people. I lived with people. I mean, commune ministry. We hitchhiked across the country together. We labored in group labor jobs. We spent years together in tight quarters, like you guys on a submarine. Kind of, I mean, it wasn't that, obviously we had fresh air, but uh, occasional fresh air. So anyway, but you know, I knew so many, it was a, it was a large group. It was the largest commune ministry that came through the United States during that time. And there was all kinds of weird stuff. But there was the love of Jesus. It was truly Christian. And so many people and so many others that you know have stopped running the race. How many people do you know who were running the race and they're not anymore? They might come back. A bunch of people, I've lived long enough to watch people go away for long decades and come back. Lonnie Frisbee, the kind of the, one of the main characters, fell away and came back. It was on his deathbed that he really was 
suffering from his own way, but you know, there's there's reaping what you sow. But he came back. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go on some long journey and come back on your deathbed, do you? Finish the race. A thousand may fall at my right hand, ten thousand at my other hand, whatever how that scripture goes that I don't have down. But not it won't come on to you. You don't have to let it come on to you. But I adjure you in the name of Jesus. Finish the race. Strong. Don't get weaker and more distant and isolated. Get stronger. You need to get stronger. Because the pressure to make you stop make on whether you're going to get stronger by the grace of God or whether you're going to get flaky and weak and distant and self into yourself in your own little world out of protection or frustration. Do you know the way the world is is not an excuse for you and me to give up on Jesus. You'll never be able to use that excuse, and it won't help you. This is why he won't let you use it, because it's not helpful to you. Finish the race. There's far too many who have stopped, but you know what? People come back. Pray for those who are distant. And would you spit away and really earnestly pray for them? We pray for them in our life, my life, my wife and I. In, in prayer meeting, we pray. We, we're not always naming people like they're all in bad places. We don't, we're careful about how we pray in public about private things. We really are, but we also have to pray. I have to care about people. And if you will pray, and I will pray for people who have wandered away, you know what it does for you? It's a little selfish. It strengthens you. It makes you think about it. Bill and um, Sarah are going to come up and share a final song, and then we're going to pray.